Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Good morning. Welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Monday the 11th of December. I'm Tim Spears and on today's show... More woe for Manchester United. You think United have turned the corner but then they fall to one of the worst results of the post for Alex Ferguson era you'd say. Do Chelsea really need to spend more money? So I think it's been an emphasis for the ownership and the sporting directors as well as Pochettino. And how on earth did Bayern Munich lose 5-1? Some of the problems um, have been prevalent. Bayern have had problems building from the back. Bayern have had problems in central midfield. This is the Daily Football Briefing with Tim Spears. It's been a fascinating weekend of football in the UK and across Europe. We'll also hear about a potential title-defining victory in the WSL. But first, we begin with a club which has committed to spending more than £1 billion on transfers in the past 18 months. The same club are currently 12th in the Premier League, 9 points ahead of relegation, but 18 off top spot. And, to top it all off, their manager says that to resolve their many, many issues, they need to spend even more money. Slides it through, Calvert-Lewin, Sanchez saves, Decore! He wouldn't mind another one here to seal the win. Yep, it's Chelsea, folks. It's always Chelsea. Their latest defeat came on Sunday, a 2-0 reverse to Everson at Goodison Park. Chelsea writer Liam Toomey joins us now to sum up the latest defeat and Mauricio Pochettino's post-match comments. Liam, is this the Chelsea we just need to get used to? Or are we expecting too much here? When it comes to expectations, clearly they those will always be tied to the massive sums that Chelsea have committed in transfer fees over the past year. But I think at some stage you have to start looking at the quality of player that Chelsea actually have out on the pitch. And I think it's clear that they've overpaid for some players. This is not an outstanding team individually. Collectively, it's certainly not performing like one. And I think that was broadly the message that Pochettino delivered in his post-match press conference, was that after five or six months of the Premier League season, after 16 matches, you kind of are who you are, regardless of the injury situation, regardless of any other mitigation he might have. Chelsea have just not been that good. You know, Everton were docked 10 points and have made nine of those back in the space of nine days. Chelsea haven't looked like winning three games in a row all season. So Pochettino says they need to improve in the next transfer window. I mean, there's so much money that's already been spent. Is there a bit of confusion between who's making these transfer decisions? I wouldn't necessarily call it confusion because our colleague David Ornstein has been reporting for some time now that that Chelsea were already looking to sign another attacker in January as as a position of priority, regardless of the fact that Christopher Nkunku is very close to a return from the knee injury that stopped him playing a minute for Chelsea so far. So I think it's been an emphasis for the ownership and the sporting directors as well as Pochettino. But to hear him state it so boldly in public after 
yet another defeat and maybe it was partly frustration at Chelsea succumbing to such familiar failings against Everton in the final third but it was certainly a marked contrast from the coach who was building up uh, Nicholas Jackson early in the season saying he could be one of the best strikers in the Premier League Pochettino may still believe that but it seems quite clear that he doesn't believe Jackson can deliver at that level right now And talking of big spending clubs who won the Champions League in the not-too-distant past but now seem to jump from crisis to crisis every other week... Manchester United have plumped to some serious depths in the 10 years since Alex Ferguson left the club, but a 3-0 home defeat to Bournemouth felt like one of the lowest moments their fans have had to endure in a very long time. United were utterly hopeless. In fact, were not for a marginal VAR handball decision, it could have been 4-0. Manchester writer Mark Critchley has written about the seemingly never-ending cycle of misery and hope at Old Trafford, and he joins us now. Brilliant piece this, Mark. I guess it feels like with United, we're just going round and round in circles. I think that's the point we've, that we've reached. We know what a United crisis looks like by now. I think most of us have having seen quite a lot of them over the years. And we're at that point where you can't even really read too much into a positive result because it just feels like a negative one is is just around the corner. Um, and that's been the story of United's week. You know, you had that game against Newcastle and all just how bad that was and, and how people were questioning whether Ten Hag have the support of the dressing room, etc. Then you have a response to that, both from the club in, in banning journalists who were writing stories to that effect, but also the performance against Chelsea, which was full of full of spirit and full of character. And so you think United have turned the corner, but then just a few days later, same ground, largely the same team as well. They fall to one of the worst results of the post for Alex Ferguson era, you'd say. That's just the moment that United are in right now. You know, there was quite a lot made about the fact that um, Saturday in this game against Bournemouth, it actually fell on the on the 10th anniversary of a really famous tweet from David Moyes' season in charge where, you know, the first after Ferguson, if you like, where he said um, that United need to improve in a number of areas, including passing, creating chances and defending. So just about everything, right? I think it's that actually just serves as a bit of a reminder that there's always a lot of attention around these standalone results, if you like. There's always a lot of sound, there's always a lot of fury, a lot of noise. But when you pull the camera back and you look at the way that this club's been run, the way it's been managed, the way it's performed over the last decade, and no matter how many managerial changes, no matter who's playing in the team, you know, as much as things change at United, the more that they stay the same. I mean, you posed the question in your piece, so I've got to ask you here. Regardless of results, does it even matter anymore? It was kind of just a step back and think, right, well, look, if United beat Bayern and they go through, that still might not be enough to go through, but if, say, they go through to, to the last 16... Do you expect them to win the Champions League? Not when they're playing like this, obviously, because they can't put a consistent set of results together. If there was a positive performance at Anfield on Sunday, if they managed even to get the first win there, I think, since Louis van Gaal was in charge, would that be a turning point? You know, maybe, but really we've seen quite a few of these already this season. You know, We've read a lot into significant wins, whether it was like Scott McTominay scoring those late goals against Brentford or you know the Anana penalty save against Copenhagen. People thought that might turn fortunes in the Champions League around. United have got these results, they've got these performances and it hasn't really taken them anywhere. And then you have the bigger issue at the same time of even a result like Saturday, you know, a 3-0 defeat to Bournemouth and really abject performance. Does that really put Ten Hag under much 
pressure. The issue is at the moment that you've got such uncertainty around the club in terms of who's going to be making sporting decisions in you know two months' time, a month's time, whatever, six to eight weeks. Who's got the authority to make a decision on a change of manager? Who's even really you know calling the shots behind the transfers and things like that? So as much as it's going as crazy as it can be at times, you're sort of left thinking, well, what is what is the point of all this at the minute until until that new regime is in place? You're listening to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. Elsewhere in the Premier League over the weekend. Liverpool topped the table after a last gasp victory at Crystal Palace. They were trailing at Sellers Park before a 200th Liverpool goal for Mo Salah. Oh, at least they didn't make much of that. And then Salah with his 200th goal for Liverpool. Landmark goal. What a time to score it. Becomes only the fifth player in Liverpool's history. And then a stoppage time winner from Harvey Elliott. Elliott's open up for him here. Which meant that the Reds climbed above Arsenal with 37 points from 16 games. Liverpool lead because Arsenal were downed by Aston Villa. Villa have just enjoyed one of the best weeks in the club's recent history after beating the reigning champions Manchester City and then the Gunners, who began the weekend in first place with a 1-0 victory on Saturday thanks to John McGinn's early goal. Jacob Tanswell covers Villa for The Athletic and I asked him how on earth Villa have gone from relegation contenders a year ago to mixing it with the Premier League title challenges. Emery came in and players immediately noticed a vast difference in training sessions between Emery and Steven Gerrard in terms of the preparation, in terms of the detail, everything's so structured, all because of the detail and the preparation he goes to. And although it can seem quite monotonous at times, you know, Emery takes his laptop on the treadmill sometimes to watch extra clips. He's got you know, people, backroom staff, analysing, uh, compiling dossiers on players before he arrived. That type of preparation is elite. Villa's players who have been there for a long time, like John McGinn, Ollie Watkins, Matty Cash, Esri Konsa, their expectations have elevated. They're not just there to survive. Emery's brought this elite mentality to the team and to the club. And so really Emery's mindset and his best of class mentality has kind of helped and grown Villa across all departments. Sunday saw Spurs return to winning ways in some style, beating Newcastle 4-1 to end a five-game winless run. Richarlison scored twice, doubling his tally of Premier League goals in a Spurs shirt. Manchester City also ended a winless run, but not without an almighty scare at Kenilworth Road. Luton led at half-time thanks to Elijah Adebayo's header, but Pep Guardiola's team recovered after the break to win their first league game in five. Bernardo Silva and Jack Grealish are on the score sheet, but City remain fourth. The most surprising result of the weekend came in Germany, where Bayern Munich were hammered 5-1 away at Eintracht Frankfurt. Bayern had only conceded nine goals in their previous 12 league matches, although leaders Bayer Leverkusen couldn't take full advantage as they only drew one all at Stuttgart on Sunday. Thomas Muller promised a reaction to Bayern's heavy defeat. Their next opponents... Manchester United on Tuesday. Our German football expert Raphael Hernigstein joins us now. Raph, did this come out of the blue or were there some sort of underlying issues building for Bayern in recent weeks? Any defeat at Bayern is a massive talking point, especially uh, one that is so heavy. Were these issues building? I think people will disagree on that. In terms of results, no, because the results have been have been very solid since the defeat early on in the Super Cup against Leipzig. They've won most games in the Bundesliga, just dropped a couple of points. Champions League has been solid throughout. I also hesitate to say that it happened in a complete vacuum because some of the problems 
um, have been prevalent, uh, not to that extent, but Bayern have had problems building from the back. Bayern have had problems in central midfield. The extent of the result, the extent of their problems, the extent of the amount of mistakes that they made at the back, individual mistakes, that was something I think that was impossible to foresee. And uh, having looked back at Tuchel's reign, he's only ever lost one game without bouncing back. They've never lost two games on the, on the row in any competition. And it probably sets the scene for a pretty strong Bayern comeback because they tend to react. They tend to be a lot fo- uh, very focused. They tend to be a little bit... Uh, hurt after a result like that. And I think that spells bad news for Man United on Tuesday. Bayern haven't lost back-to-back games since Tuchel has come in. And I don't expect them to do that on Tuesday either. Meanwhile, over in Spain, Hirona topped the table after an amazing 4-2 win away at Barcelona. Hirona, who until 2017 had never played in La Liga and have never finished higher than 10th in the table, stunned Xavi's struggling Barca with Christian Stuani sealing victory in stoppage time. Real Madrid dropped points with a one-all draw at Real Betis. Jude Bellingham scored, of course he did, with his 16th goal in 18 appearances. And Atletico a third after beating Almeria 3-1. And finally, there was a hugely significant result in the WSL on Sunday. Arsenal thrashed Chelsea 4-1 at the Emirates in front of a massive crowd of 59,000, the biggest ever attendance in the league. Lesu Russo scored twice and Beth Mead was also on the score sheet as Arsenal moved level with Emma Hayes' team at the top of the table. Here's Jesse Parker Humphreys to sum up a very significant result. Arsenal went level on points with Chelsea at the top of the WSL thanks to a comprehensive 4-1 win Goals from Beth Mead, Amanda Ilishet and two from Alessia Russo ensured that despite an early Johanna Rittenkanner equaliser, they gave the record crowd who had filled in at the Emirates to come and see them the, the show they wanted. It was maybe the best performance Arsenal had ever had at the Emirates. And despite some controversial refereeing calls, Lauren James could potentially have been sent off. Maybe Arsenal's penalty was a bit soft. At the end of the day, the best team won, something that Emma Hayes said after the game. And it leaves everything to play for in the second half of the season. There's still one more WSL game to go before Christmas, but... When we come back after that winter break, both sides here will be going for it. Obviously, Chelsea, with Hayes' departure, wanting to win that fifth consecutive title in a row. Arsenal, though, showing they are more than ready to compete. Just before you go, seeing as it's December, let me help you out with your Christmas shopping. Right now, you can gift someone a year-long athletic subscription for the cheap, cheap price of £20 or dollars for the whole 12 months. That's over 70% off. Head to theathletic.com slash briefing for more info. And that's all for today's briefing. Thank you for listening. I've been Tim Spears. Your producer was Mike Zimmerman and executive producer was Ian McIntosh. I'll be back with you tomorrow. In the meantime, have a great day. The Athletic.